BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's short track racing is where all racing started. I mean, it's even the NASCAR world started short track racing back in the day. And we just want to tell a great story. to, And to, not a story. We want to tell factual guidelines. Hear the unfiltered, honest stories of how grassroots racers have and can achieve their racing goals. Fast Car to NASCAR. Hosted by NASCAR driver Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourself in, pull those belts tight as we take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We dial up the occasional guest on this program and we have another one for you today. Say hello to Mark Martin and I'll toss it over to Mike. And not only Mark Martin, this is THE Mark Martin. Right? Yes. <laughs> Mark, thanks for being with us today. The Mike Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, Mark, I, I was talking to Jeff earlier, and I realized I have, I've known of you, known probably more of you back in the day, like 74, 75, when you were Mark, the kid Martin. You're just this, you, were, you, were, you were the pre-youth driver before young drivers. And uh, so the day after you were born, how did Mark Martin become Mark Martin? What kind well, of racing did you start in? And, and was it family-driven, or is it just something that happened, or how did it work? Well, my dad started a truck trucking company the year that I was born. And so, uh, you know, he was always a mechanical kind of guy, hot rod, race car-ish kind of guy. Um, you know, so we shared an enthusiasm for mechanical things, uh, or motorized things, I guess you'd say. And my first recollection of having my own vehicle was uh, 
my dad built me a tractor trailer out of two by fours, uh, like, like a Tonka truck or something, you know? Uh, so I, I remember having that for uh, a little toy truck and, um, I got bicycles right away and, uh, you know, we didn't believe in back in the day we, you didn't wear helmets. So <laughs> I spent plenty of time, uh, going to the hospital and getting my head stitched up. Uh, I started at an early age using my hammer for a head, uh, my head for a hammer. And, uh, you know, I, we, you know, the, he, he had hot rod cars and, we went to drag races as a young kid, and there was occasional street race, drag race. Uh, he drove fast all the time. Uh, my first recollection of driving uh, was steering a car. I was probably, I'm going to guess, around five years old. I was standing in his lap steering the car on the dirt roads in Arkansas. <laughs> um, and we were going obviously faster than we should be. And we were coming up on a one lane wide, uh, wooden bridge. And when we were headed toward that thing, I said, take it. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, no, you, you drive it. And, uh, he said, and I said, I can't. And he said, then we'll wreck. <laughs> <laughs> and so we hauled ass across the, that bridge and kept on digging um and that was kind of my dad was an unconditional guy real uh wild outlaw probably belonged in the wild west uh years and days um so we went to uh we, we went to races we started going we went to the 72 daytona 500 and uh that was a really big deal for us uh, my mom and dad were, uh, separated or, eh, yeah, I think they were divorced at the time. And, uh, um, so the summers of 73, my, my dad took me out to the dirt track, local dirt track and yeah, every Friday night and we'd go out. That was kind of our time together. I was staying with my mom and we'd go, uh, my dad would take me out to the dirt track on a weekend and that was our outing. The last race of the season in 73, I was standing in the pits with him looking at a car and, and I looked up at him and I said, let's build me one of these things for next year. And so I, the way I recall it is we drug a 55 Chevy uh, out of the woods and it, of course, had a 235 six-cylinder engine in it. We pulled the engine out and uh, started cutting the interior out, cutting it out, and put a roll cage in it, and uh, and sent the motor down to Joe Lenati in Memphis and had him build up and build up the engine, and uh, that's kind of how we got started. The first race of the season was probably early April of '74, and I started racing the six-cylinder division on the dirt track in Batesville. Wow. So t how do you think, what prompted you to look at your dad at that racetrack on that given day and go, build me one of these, or let's let's build one of these? I mean, you've always been known as a real mechanical, hands-on, chassis knowledge guy. But what do you think prompted you to say that or do that at that particular time? 
Well, I think it was, you know, I had started, I went, you know, I guess I skipped over getting a mini bike when I was 10 years old and, and then, uh, motorcycles when I was 11 and, and, um, I, you know, I loved motorcycle and I, I really wanted to race motocross and that's really what I wanted to do so bad. And my parents wouldn't let me do it. And so after about two or three years of disappointment and not being able to, to race, uh, you know, the, the motocross stuff, I just thought I can do this. I can drive this car. So they were pushing me toward four wheels at the time. Anyway, I think I, they had already bought me a car to drive so that I wouldn't be running around Batesville on two wheels. So instead of terrorizing Batesville on two wheels, I was terrorizing them on four wheels. <laughs> and, you know, by the time I did finally get my driver's license, I was in for a rude awakening because, um, the, the when, when I got them, they handed them to me and, they, and then they said, give them right, give them back. Um, they're, they're revoked or suspended for three months for all the no drivers, for all the no drivers license tickets that you have. So <laughs> I didn't really get my driver's license when I got my driver's license, but I drove anyway. So we, we kind of felt like, well, my dad always said that, uh, the, the rules applied to everyone else, not him. So <laughs> we kind of lived by that in those early years. So I'm assuming they wouldn't let you have a two-wheel motorcycle because they were scared, scared you were going to get, get get hurt, I assume? Is well, it? I did have, I did actually did have, I got, uh, you know, a mini bike when I was 10, motorcycle was uh, 11, uh, and in, uh, I think it was about 72, my dad had a uh, terrible accident on his uh, Harley chopper. And they actually uh, said that he, per the, the ambulance driver said that he was dead on the way to the hospital. So it was a real rough time. So he had that. And then the next year in 73, um, I had a Honda 500 four-cylinder. And I was, I guess I was 14 in 73. And I hit a car and broke my wrist and um cut my leg up really bad so we wound up in the hospital at the same time he was having an operation in little rock and uh, you know and and we wound up in the hospital at the same time in little rock and from that time on they really pushed me off of two wheels yeah well that sounds like that was probably a good move and i'm glad they did because you know, you've uh, you continued to prosper. So after that first standing there at that racetrack, you decided you're going to build that car. You go into the winter, I assume. And did you and Dad build that car yourself, or did you buy that from someone, or how did that work? No, uh, we built it. We built. Uh, we we pulled the car out of the wood weeds. It was a kind of a abandoned '55, and uh, we put it in the trucking company shop. And Troy Lynn Jeffrey was our main mechanic in the truck shop. And he was more mechanical than my dad or I was. For, And so he, we, first we cut the interior out of it, took all that stuff out. And then he proceeded to weld a roll cage in 
to the car. So it was a home-built car, but we did put a front sway bar on it, and um, they did not like that. They thought that was cheating. <laughs> You know, uh, but it was, you know, I mean, well, so we start out, we put lowering blocks in the back. Uh, we, we cut the front springs off to lower the front and then we put a front sway bar on it. So, um, it was not long before we were running in the front with the car and, uh, it was pretty tough on the competitors because they were all, of course, grown ups and I was 15 years old and looked 11. So, <laughs> So we had a lot of trouble the first uh, two years I raced uh, with uh, with the local competition, and, and uh, there were a few fights and whatnot. People didn't, you know, those they didn't. Let, a lot of them didn't take it too well to get beat by this little kid know, out and run them. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of rough. It, it got better by the by the time I got graduated up to racing with Trickle and. And all those guys, Larry Phillips and Rusty, you know, it was, uh, was sportsmanship. But in the early first couple of years, it was pretty rough. Well, Mark, I remember going back to the days that we seen you at Springfield, Missouri. And you and your father had, that time, very, very nice race cars, probably in your little truck and jar, roll truck you had or flatbed, however you want to say it was probably the nicest going. Did you always have really nice race cars? Like that first car you built that you guys showed up and sounds like you, you beat the competition pretty good on a local basis. Uh, did you have nice looking cars that whole time? The first car was nice compared to the competition, but it was a real turd. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was really, really bad, but it was nicer probably than any of the competition that that we raced against but the second car for the second year uh for um 75 we built a really nice car we we stripped a 55 chevy down frame down to the bare frame and and took it up to larry phillips and had larry put you know 09 uh 090 mile steel roll cage in it our our first car had water pipe for a row cage, so it was really heavy. So uh, Larry put Phillips put a nice row cage on, on it, and, and uh, it was a really nice car. Uh, and I guess from there we always just took our took put a lot of time into the cars. We wanted them to to function well, but really look not you know aesthetics was important to us. We wanted them to look nice, you know, and that's just something that has always stuck with me. I, you know, I, that to this day, I spend a large portion of my time, you know, detailing, polishing paint, um, ceramic coating, um, wash, you know, just that, just I do that stuff all the time. So I don't know. It was just something that was ingrained in me from an early, early age. Gotcha. So if I can step back just a moment and to those early dirt days where you were having a little trying time with the competition. Is there any particular story or one particular night that stood out that maybe turned out great for you and not the competition or vice versa? Is there something, just one single dirt story in a year or two that why the competition was bothered by Mark Martin outrunning them? Jimmy Lee Grubbs, uh, 
drove USA number one car, uh, and he was not liking it. And so I passed him. We were racing at Batesville, and I passed him. Uh, and when I got by him, um, you know, he is cutting me off something terrible. When I got by him, well, we, I think we, uh, clacked sides as I got by. And as soon as I got by, I saw he was, he was, uh, letting off. And so he was waiting he was just going slow around the racetrack to like, cause he couldn't catch me. <laughs> so he was just waiting for me to come back around. So, you know, I saw him up ahead and I saw him going, I knew what he was going to do. So, you know, rather than let him run me over when I caught him, I just turned him and put him up a telephone pole <laughs> um, because I knew what was coming. So I struck first <laughs> and uh, of course I went on and won the race and you carried a checkered flag around back then, you know, for a lap and I was carried around. I look over in the pits there was a hell of a fight going on. <laughs> My uncle, uh, Rick Milligan, uh, hit, hit the ground running from the stands in a dead run on, on the way to the pits. <laughs> and when, he, when he got there and Jimmy Lee pulled in, he punched him. Uh, I think he punched him before he got out of the car. So they had him a hell of a fight. So I took my time getting back over to the pits. Uh, uh, and by the time I got there, the fight was cleared up. So that was, uh, that was good. Hey, Mark, hold that thought right there. We're going to take a break right here. And come back and talk to uh, Mark Martin some more through the years in his NASCAR career. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll have more with Mark Martin in just a second. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on your car insurance, but it could also give you a chance to learn about someone in the motorsports or automotive industry. Join Ralph Shaheen for the Geico 15-Minute Moto Show, available now on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, NASCAR Digital Media, and your favorite podcast platforms and now more with mark martin and mike wallace well mark i during that break i was thinking about you tar turning that guy and then seeing there was a big wrecking in or a big fight going on in the infield and and you probably drove around and waited for a while but let's move forward from that what's the next step for mark martin at that point uh you know the next step uh was we, we moved into late models um, we ran two years in the six owner class and then we, then we built a late model. It was time to, you know, step up. And, and so we started out racing locally with the late model, but by mid season, we were venturing out to, um, you know, find the competition to challenge us. And so we were getting outside of Arkansas and starting to travel around. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a big deal for us. Uh, we, my dad was always believed in big motors. So, um, we, he, we built a Camaro and it was heavy as hell, uh, because, you know, my dad wanted it safe for his little boy. <laughs> uh, but he had, uh, Joe Lenati build a 496 big block for it so it had this monster motor uh big block motor in it, it was heavy in in the front i think the car weighed almost 3100 pounds and 
well, the first couple races I ran it, I just couldn't keep up with the steering. I just, it just steered hard and you know, those old dirt tracks were rough and everything. And I, I couldn't keep the front wheels pointed where I needed them pointed. And so we went to the junkyard and started grabbing, uh, stuff to put power steering on the car. And once we put, you know, cause I was weighing 110 pounds myself at the time. Uh, <laughs> you were a big guy, yeah. weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was still a little boy. And so we put the st- power steering on it. it. It took forever. That was such a miserable exercise for us, but we, we got it on there and it worked well. And, uh, we started running good. And, uh, by mid season, we start venturing out. And so this is 1976 and we went to uh, Paducah, Kentucky to race against Don Hester and Jerry Inman. Um, And we raced, uh, I guess, on Saturday night in Paducah. And then we got in the hauler and headed up to Winchester to watch the Winchester 400, dry power 400. And we saw this, you talk about beautiful, pretty race cars. We saw this beautiful 66 uh, there and this whole team of crew with white jeans and beautiful Cam 2 uh, racing oil t-shirts. And it looked like NASCAR, man. And it was, it happened to be Rusty Wallace out of St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> And I could not believe, you know, it was so incredibly professional. And I think Rusty ran about fourth or fifth uh, in in the five, in the 400 that day. Uh, but I was still a dirt burner at the time, so um, the, the you know we were that was my first exposure to to Rusty and and short track pavement racing. So um, later that year in '76, there we decided that. It was just too much traveling to find the kind of uh, competition that really challenged us and made us step up our game. And so it was time. The Daytona 500 was not on dirt. So uh, my goal was win the Daytona 500 by the time I was 25. So, uh, you know, decided that it was time to build a pavement asphalt car. So, so let me hear that again. You, your desire was to win the Daytona 500 by age 25? That was kind of something that was said. I guess, I don't know if I said it or if somebody else said it, and then I just believed it. So that was kind of what we were, that, that was in our mind. You know, my mind already was that, you know, I would love to be a NASCAR driver by that time. You know, I mean, when I first started racing, I, well, I didn't because I didn't think I would be good enough. But as we had success on every level, it became more and more uh, a possibility. Yeah. So you, now you have all this confidence. You're winning races. You went from the dirt tracks to you end up showing up the Dry Power 400 to watch the race. And then you riding back home later date decide we're going to go pavement racing. Yeah, there was, it was the end of the year, you know, so each year was a new one, a new race car and a new hauler, uh, or a hauler iteration. And if you listen to Mark Martin pod, uh, dot com, I have, uh, every single year, I've got a podcast for every year from 74 to 
through 2013. And the first five years, the hauler stories are as big as the racing stories. But yes, we, we decided to build uh, build build up a asphalt car for '77, and um, and we got a how car, and that's a that's a story in itself. Uh, we did not know what we were doing at all, and Ed Ed Howe was appalled by our workmanship and heavy ass uh, race car that we built out of the chassis that we got from him. He he didn't think much of you for doing that. You're saying you built he supplier you bought a chassis from him and you finished it and it wasn't what he thought it should be. Oh yeah, it was heavy oh. and too pretty, too pretty and too heavy. Too pretty and too uh, heavy, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh, he chastises pretty bad for it. Um, and you know, there's a lot of stories on that. My first real outing uh, was the speed weeks at Daytona. Uh, not speed weeks, but uh, New Smyrna World Series of Asphalt. Uh, you know, if we're figured that we should go down there, even though it would be over my head, uh, the competition would be way we'd be way out of our league. But we could race nine nights in a row. That's like two or three months of experience back home. Mm-hmm. And so we went down there, and uh, the first night um, I had some old Hoosier tires. And uh, the first night we qualified bad and got wrecked in the heat race and wrecked the car really bad. And uh, we uh, took it to a shop and uh, the front snout was bent and everything else. My dad got Ed Howe to come look at it. And Ed, Ed said, well, you might as well put it back together and let the boy get some experience anyway. <laughs> so we put it back together, even though the front snout was bent really bad. And... Uh, and I went back out there, and we were unloading. We missed two nights uh, fixing the car. And so it was the fourth night when we went out and unloaded the car. We rolled it off the trailer, and the guys from the Goodyear t- uh, truck, tire truck come over and said, would you be interested in trying a set of tires? Hell, yeah, free. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And so uh, – Jody Ridley had been down there uh, and re- blew up a motor the first three nights. He had three motors, blew up every night. So he was on the Firestone tire deal. Well, he went home. And so they didn't have a guy on, on their tires. And so I, we took four wheels over to the Firestone truck, and they rolled back over four scuffs that said 98 on them, Jody Ridley. And we bolted them on, and I rolled out there and qualified third quick. And we were top top six the rest of speed weeks. And it was on. Yeah, it was on. You know? Game on with a good set of tires it, on that baby. It might have been a little soft, huh? <laughs> well, I don't know. They were good. They were Firestones. Yeah. I, that's all I know. They were Jody's, though, and Jody was a tire, uh, you know, Firestone tire guy. So they were, they were the trickiest stuff that Firestone had. Uh, but we we decided that we were so damn fast and didn't know why we were that we wouldn't put a new snout on the car, so we <laughs> continued to race the car bent because it was so damn fast. We thought that might have been the magic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Wow, that, that's that's a great story. So, so you leave Speed Weeks. You you've ended up, I'm assuming, on a good note because you're in the top three, top six all week after you fix the car, racing with the Ben Snout, but got some really fast Firestone tires and the thing. And where do you go from there? That's when we start going up to the fairgrounds, uh, Springfield Fairgrounds on Friday night, and and uh, and Fort Smith on uh, Arkansas on Saturday night. And, uh, you know, Rusty and Phillip, Larry Phillips are racing there. And, you know, we get there early and set everything up, practice and, you know, all that stuff. And every every Friday night during practice, I look over and Rusty's hauler sitting at the gate. And he, he, he can't come in until the uh, practice is over. And so after practice is over, he drives in, starts unloading stuff. So after about the third week, I go over and say, Rusty, why do you always get here so late? He says, I got to wait for Herman to get out of school, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was just about how it was, wasn't it? That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Hey, do do us a favor. Do everybody that's, that's picturing this right now, paint us a picture of your, at that time and era, because I'd come with Rusty on occasions. Kenny was with him all the time, and I was kind of racing back at home doing some dirt racing. But every time I'd show up, you and your dad had, again, very, you know, beautiful cars, and you had a, a crew cab ramp truck. Describe that, because I remember how cool that was back in the day. Well, it started out as a, a, a regular pickup truck the first year, 74. And in 75, we made it into a four-door pickup. And, of course, it had a 454 in it. And then um, in the next year, in 76, when we started uh, late model racing, we built a ramp truck on the back, put dually wheels on the axle on the back of it and made a ramp truck and then in 77 when we we went asphalt racing we used that truck but we built a little u-haul trailer to pull behind it which we carried a spare motor and all the tools and a barrel of fuel and all that stuff in the in in the little trailer behind it and uh we uh also put a a super a racing 454 engine engine uh and a dual gear shift transmission so it has two sticks in it and a lot of gears because we hauled ass <laughs> uh, we would make it a springfield springfield was two uh two lane racetrack a two lane road all the way to springfield 200 miles no interstate and uh, we would make it in three hours. <laughs> that, that's that's why you're doubled up on that gearbox there, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. So it was a it was it was an incredible piece. Uh, and then the next year we built a Ford with a 460 in it, uh, cube van with a terribly heavy trailer behind it that carried all all our stuff. And it was real heavy. And we blew three motors up in the hauler. We blew more motors up in the hauler than we did in the race car in 78. <laughs> and, you know, back then you were blown up on the side of the road with no cell phones. You had to walk to somebody's house 
knock on the door and get them to let you borrow the telephone. So there's a lot of stories about haulers. <laughs> I just remember how nice your stuff looked, and it was kind of ahead of our time at that point. And so uh, that's the early days of Mark Martin that I remember. We're going to take a break. Jeff's going to handle it here, and then we're going to come back. Hold on to that thought. We want to talk about some of your most memorable wins when we come back. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. I'm Jeff Kent on the SpeedSport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. More with Mark Martin in just a second. Must-see racing 410 sprint cars, Midwest Lights, crate engine-powered sprint cars, and the Midwest Super Modified Series all take part in the American Speed U.S. Nationals presented by Engine Pro. Special Memorial Day weekend event at the 3-8th Mile Kalamazoo Speedway. Tune in on MAV-TV Thursday, August 19th for SpeedSport Presents Must See Racing from Kalamazoo Part 2. Check your local listings for channel and time. And now more with Mark Martin and Mike Wallace. Mark, we've, we've got it to the point that, you know, you've got this nice equipment early in your career. You're running well. And now let's fast forward a little bit. and You tell us about what's going on in Mark Martin's life at that point. Well, first of all, you know, what I'd really like to do is is – uh, back up to my first first year, um, you know, we were accomplishing things that we I never dreamed were possible, and you know that that was really really exciting. And um, they were having toward the end of the year, um, my first season, they were having a 50 lap race, which most of our features were 15 lap features or whatever, maybe 20. Um, they were having a 50 lap feature in, in uh, Benton uh, Speed Bowl, now known as I 30 Speedway in uh, Little Rock, Benton, Arkansas. And national, I mean, uh, the uh, Arkansas State Championship 50 lap race. And we went down for that. And lo and behold, we won that race. And that was certainly a shock to us. In, um, that was, uh, that was like winning, you know, the Daytona 500 for a NASCAR driver. It's a big deal for, for me. Um, we didn't really have a milestone career milestone event win, uh, the next year in 75, but in 76, when I raced late model dirt, um, we went up to, uh, uh, Bolivar Speedway and to go up there and race against uh, Ken Essery who had a bounty on him uh, and all the guys up in Missouri that raced legends I mean just absolute legends um, just we weren't used to racing we were racing on dirt uh, clay tracks muddy tracks and Bolivar was a dry, slick racetrack. So before the feature, I walked over to the Firestone tire truck and bought a pair of rear tires that were fine tread um, tires. I think they were Firestone, so I don't remember what they were. But they were, you know, a different tread pattern. We put, on, put them on the car. And uh, we, had, we had to make the race through the, the C-Main so they transferred two cars, I think, out of the C-Main to the B. 
and we didn't make uh, we we didn't make the cut, and we talked somebody into selling us the, the you know their slot, their money. You know, we'd give them the money if they let us run the B main, and so we got they, we we worked it out. He withdrew and let me run the B main, and I made it into the A main through the B, and we were starting to really get our feet under us by then. And we started in the back of the A main. And I re- remember running on the bottom, finding moisture on the bottom of the racetrack and just driving by cars and driving by cars and driving by cars and driving by cars. And at the end of the race, the, I got the checkered flag. And I didn't even know I was leading the race by the end. And we won the race. And the freaking grandstands went crazy. I remember uh you know the, the fans were just climbing on the fence in the grandstand it was nuts and that was certainly um still to this day one of the most miraculous big wins of my career um and then the next one we decided in 77 once we uh you know got on asphalt we decided we would go to the national short track championship uh, there again, we knew it would be over our heads. We knew, you know, that the competition would be way stiff and we never had any expectations of being competitive for the win. But, uh, we, we set second fast time. Trickle was fast time. We were second fast time and it was a 200 lap race. And, um, we wound up winning that race. And it was absolutely like, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it was like, how do you do that? You know, I mean, uh, the, the heroes, Joe Shear, Randy Sweet, Dick Trickle, Tom Refter, um, Mike Miller, all the greatest, all of the greats are there. I don't, you know, I just couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, that was probably... Well, if I can you know, inter- the biggest win of my career, really. If, if I can interrupt there for a second, Mark, and let me reset the stage a little bit for everybody. Mark said the National Short Track Championships. And Mark, stop me if I'm saying anything wrong here. That was at Rockford, Illinois, which mm-hmm. is a high bank, quarter-mile racetrack, lightning mm-hmm. fast. And mm-hmm. Mark, as he mentioned, it was every hero, hitter, whatever you want to call a superstar racer in the Midwest that went to the national short track championships. So I, I just kind of wanted to set that stage, even though you went through that, that to win that race is a career win, you know? Yeah. And we, you know, we'd never been there before. I mean, you know, we're racing trickle and Joe Shear and all those guys that race there all the time, you know, and I just, I don't know how we did it. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I absolutely don't know how we did it. Um, but this is also the year that Ed Howe, you know, chastised us um, so badly when he saw a car. And uh, after he chastised us, uh, we cut about 100 pounds of, of weight out of it and started making it, um, you know, more progressive race car. And then um, later that year, uh, I went to Owasso, Michigan, and Brad, that ran uh, how Enterprises, was in the grandstands. And I raced 
uh, Bob Seneca for second place, a whole hundred laps and, um, got back to to the shop. Um, on Tuesday morning, I was in the shop and the phone rang and it was Brad from house and he said, Hey, uh, you know, I was in the stands, man. That was incredible. Um, you're still running your 1150, 600 and pair of three fifties, right? Yep. Yep. That's what I got in it. He says, I got another setup for you. You might like better. And so he gave me a, a different spring setup and I couldn't believe that though they were gods, they were gods and they called me, <laughs> gave me some information, little old me, just, I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and then also a little later that year, they called and, uh, Brad called me and said, Hey, uh, we're going to give you a chassis for next year, a new chassis. So, uh, for 78, we, we had another, we got a, a new how car. And, uh, when I was going to go pick that up and I think December, um, I was going to drive from Arkansas all the way to Beaverton, Michigan, which is nearly to Canada. And, uh, I called up Rusty and said, hey, Rusty, you want to go with me up to Ed Howe's to pick up a car? He said, yeah, man. So I took the empty trailer and went through St. Louis and picked up Rusty, and we drove all the way to Michigan and got the frame and cage and put it on the trailer. And on the way back home, we got into a about midnight, we got into a snowstorm, and uh, it closed, it closed, you know, drifted over the highway, and the interstate and it closed the thing down and Rusty and I had to turn the, the truck and trailer around and go back and find a hotel and spend the night and wait for him to snow plow the place so we could, you know, go on home the next morning. So, um, it was good times. I mean, Rusty and Rusty and I were fierce competitors. We were two, um, two, you know, fish in, in a, in a small pond, and we never, ever once had one problem. We were uh, competitors. We shared information, setups, um, and we raced each other's guts out from 1977 till 2005 when he retired. And we never once had a problem. He's just uh, such a prince in my eyes. So you, you couldn't do that with hardly anybody. But we just had such a mutual respect for one another. We had a lot of good times. I can definitely echo what you're saying, Mark, from Rusty's side, because he's talked a lot throughout his career. And, you know, those Thanksgiving dinners we have once a year, and always Mark Martin always comes up in the conversation. And <laughs> always in a very pleasant way, you know, in an astute, complimentary way. And it, tell me if I'm right or not, when you guys got to NASCAR, we'll say both you and Rusty got to NASCAR, you two are really known in the early era of, of your NASCAR careers as really knowing your race cars, understanding them, understanding the chassis. Am I saying that right? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were, Rusty, Rusty and I were probably at the time, and then when Alan uh, Quickie came in, you know, um, as well, but we were there before Alan um, got there and, and, uh, we were, we were true car guys, um, at, at drivers and not many drivers were as true. Now that, you know, Earnhardt knew his race car, Darrell Waltrip knew his race cars. Um, but Rusty and I built our race cars. I mean, we actually, Rusty actually had a chassis company, you know, 
mm-hmm. um, and and Rusty and I built our race cars, you know, in the in the latter years before we went NASCAR racing. Uh, not only did we set them up and and hang the bodies and and do the setups, but we actually built chassis as well. So, you know, we were pretty far advanced in that area and wasn't really welcomed by NASCAR uh, crew chiefs at the time to have a driver that thought he knew what he needed. Yeah, well, definitely with, with what you had and what you did, you between you and Rusty at that time, uh, you, you guys, and I, I use the word understand your cars, and for the people listening, what that means is they knew what springs they wanted in the car. They could feel the difference, the shocks, the sway bars, where, honestly, guys like myself would get in, drive the car, and count on the crew chief to make it right. And if it didn't feel good, you just told them, but it wasn't really, you didn't know what to change, and you guys knew how to do that. Yeah, it was more than knowing that. We actually physically put the springs in them, too. Okay. And that, that I mean, Rusty and I both, you know, we did the the setups, this, you know, on the spring changing. A lot of times we would do that. I would always do that. I mean, I can't say that Rusty did it all the time because it wasn't there. But, you know, I saw him do it a lot. And Rusty, you know, I, I, I never let anybody change springs or do my tires i did the i staggered my tires and put them in sets um the most critical things that made speed in the race cars were were the bodies in the in the tires and the setups and i did those on my cars all uh, up until i got into nascar i did all that myself even when we ran a 400 lap race and i had four sets of tires in the pits i had taped on the dash all four sets of tires and what size they were and what air pressures they were so that during the race, if I wanted to change a stagger, I could tell the crew, take the left rear out of set two and put in set four, you know, and whatever, you know, move, move the tires around. So, you know, the, I, I was kind of the mastermind of those particular things and things that I felt like weren't, didn't make speed. I, I let people that worked for me or helped me do those things. I wanted them to do all that stuff, but I wanted to manage the stuff that made the speed. I got you. Well, Mark, what I've realized is we, we've rolled through a bunch of time here, and I think I could talk to you for days if you'd let me do it, and hopefully we can join back up sometime in the future. But what I'd like to do, besides you've just brought us up to the NASCAR career, and which is so documented, all your great wins. Give me the, give me the best win you had in NASCAR racing. 2009, uh, when we won at Phoenix after, you know, I think, 05 was maybe my last win. Uh, and I had semi-retired uh, to a limited schedule and had a bunch of near misses. And it looked like I wouldn't, you know, ever experience winning another NASCAR race. And we won at Phoenix in 09 and, uh, in, in the Hendrick car and everybody who was my hero and important to me in NASCAR uh, came by Victory Lane and congratulated me. It was uh, just a heart-wrenching time. Um, it was an experience that um, I wanted to experience one more time in my career, and that's why I took the deal with Rick Hendrick. I didn't want to run full-time. I did not want to race for a championship but I wanted to experience winning one more time in my career at, at the top level. And, um, there's just, they don't make a drug that, 
that good. I mean, it was just the most euphoric thing um, that I've ever experienced was uh, was winning uh, NASCAR races. Well, Matt, Mark, I said Matt, and because I got a note wrote real quick, <laughs> and I, I apologize for stuttering there a moment. <laughs> I've had so many people ask, what's your son Matt Martin doing now? Matt is, uh, he's, uh, he's writing, he's doing, uh, some writing and some pu publishing. Um, he's into books and those kind of things. And he's got a little publishing company that he's doing some publishing on. Um, he's doing some writing and, um, he's, uh, also spearheading a new book that, uh, that we're going to do chronicle you know and kind of chronicle some things that i wasn't able to share during my racing career okay um you have to watch what you say and you can't always tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth <laughs> in racing because it might hurt somebody's feelings or it might uh, cause you some heartburn and um to the point now where i have the opportunity to tell things the way they really were and some things that haven't really been expanded on in my racing career. And he's, he's spearheading that book. Um, so he's not going to write it. Bones, Bones Bowser is going to be the, the writer because Bones is the, my favorite writer in motorsports by far is an incredible writer. Um, and he did, you know, some spectacular books, but uh, Bones is going to write it. But Matt knows, uh, he's he's an excellent writer, and he knows the the things that need to be in the book to make it different than anything that you've seen before. Hey, Mark Martin, we're out of time. Thank you for your time today. Mike's right; we could sit here and talk to you all afternoon. We could do several more segments, uh, but uh, we appreciate uh, the time this afternoon. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media.